Chapter thirty two of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter thirty two. The Banknote and George Washington. New Year's morning dawned. How I wish breakfast was over, thought Ellen, as she was dressing. However, there is no way of getting over this life but by going through it, so when the bell rang, she went down as usual. Mr. Marshman had decreed that he would not have a confusion of gifts at the breakfast table. Other people might make presents in their own way. They must not interfere with his. Needle cases, bags, and so forth must therefore wait another opportunity, and Ellen Chauncey decided it would just make the pleasure so much longer, and was a great improvement on the old plan. Happy New Year's and pleasant greetings were exchanged as the party gathered in the breakfast room. Pleasure sat on all faces except Ellen's and many a one wore a broad smile as they sat down to table. For the napkins were in singular disarrangement this morning. Instead of being neatly folded up on the plates, in their usual fashion, they were in all sorts of disorder, sticking up in curious angles, some high, some low, some half-folded, some quite unfolded, according to the size and shape of that which they covered. It was worth while to see that long tableful, and the faces of the company, before yet a napkin was touched. An anxious glance at her own showed Ellen that it lay quite flat. Alice's, which was next, had an odd little rising in the middle, as if there were a small dumpling under it. Ellen was in an agony for this pause to come to an end. It was broken by some of the older persons, and then in a trice every plate was uncovered. And then what a buzz! Pleasure and thanks and admiration, and even laughter. Ellen dreaded at first to look at her plate. She bethought her, however, that if she waited long, she would have to do it with all eyes upon her. She lifted the napkin slowly. Yes, just as she feared, there lay a clean banknote, of what value she could not see, for confusion covered her, the blood rushed to her cheeks, and the tears to her eyes. She could not have spoken, and happily it was no time then. Everybody else was speaking. She could not have been heard. She had time to cool and recollect herself, but she sat with her eyes cast down, fastened upon her plate and the unfortunate bank-bill, which she detested with all her heart. She did not know what Alice had received. She understood nothing that was going on, till Alice touched her, and said gently, "'Mr. Marshman is speaking to you, Ellen.' "'Sir,' said Ellen, starting. "'You need not look so terrified,' said Mr. Marshman, smiling. "'I only asked you if your bill was a counterfeit. Something seems to be wrong about it.' Ellen looked at her plate and hesitated. Her lip trembled. "'What is it?' continued the old gentleman. "'Is anything the matter?' Ellen desperately took up the bill, and with burning cheeks, marched to his end of the table. "'I am very much obliged to you, sir, but I had a great deal rather not, if you please. If you will please to be so good as to let me give it back to you, I should be very glad.' "'Why, hoity-toity,' said the old gentleman, "'what's all this?' "'What's the matter? Don't you like it? "'I thought I was doing the very thing that would please you best of all.' "'I am very sorry you should think so, sir,' said Ellen, "'who had recovered a little breath, "'but had the greatest difficulty to keep back her tears. "'I never thought of such a thing as your giving me anything, sir, "'till somebody spoke of it. "'And I had rather never have anything in the world "'than that you should think what you thought about me. "'What did I think about you?' "'George told me that somebody told you, sir, "'I wanted money for my present.' "'And didn't you say so?' "'Indeed I didn't, sir,' said Ellen, with a sudden fire. "'I never thought of such a thing. "'What did you say, then?' "'Margaret was showing us her earrings, "'and she asked me if I wouldn't like to have some like them. 
and I couldn't help thinking I would a great deal rather have the money they would cost to buy something for Alice. And just when I said so, you came in, sir, and she said what she did. I was very much ashamed. I wasn't thinking of you, sir, at all, nor of New Year. Then you would like something else better than money? No, sir, nothing at all, if you please. If you'll only be so good as to not give me this, I will be very much obliged to you, indeed. And please not to think I could be so shameful as you thought I was. Ellen's face was not to be withstood. The old gentleman took the bill from her hand. I will never think anything of you, said he, but what is the very tip-top of honorable propriety. But you make me ashamed now. What am I going to do with this? Here have you come and made me a present, and I feel very awkward indeed. I don't care what you do with it, sir, said Ellen, laughing, though in imminent danger of bursting into tears. I am very glad it is out of my hands. But you needn't think I am going to let you off so, said he. You must give me half a dozen kisses at least, to prove that you have forgiven me for making so great a blunder. Half a dozen is too many at once, said Ellen gaily, three now and three to-night. So she gave the old gentleman three kisses, but he caught her in his arms, and gave her a dozen at least, after which he found out that the waiter was holding a cup of coffee at his elbow, and Ellen went back to her place, with a very good appetite for her breakfast. After breakfast the needle-cases were delivered. Both gave the most entire satisfaction. Mrs. Chauncey assured her daughter that she would quite as leaf have a yellow as a red rose on the cover, and that she liked the inscription extremely, which the little girl acknowledged to have been a joint device of her own and Ellen's. Ellen's bag gave great delight, and was paraded all over the house. After the bustle of thanks and rejoicing was at last over, and when she had a minute to herself, which Ellen Chauncey did not give her for a good while, Ellen bethought her of her flowers, a sweet gift still to be made. Why not make it now? Why should not Alice have the pleasure of them all day? A bright thought. Ellen ran forthwith to the housekeeper's room, and after a long admiring look at her treasures, carried them, glass and all, to the library, where Alice and John often were in the morning alone. Alice thanked her in the way she liked best, and then the flowers were smelled and admired afresh. Nothing could have been pleasanter to me, Ellie, except Mr. Marshman's gift. And what was that, Alice? I haven't seen it yet. Alice pulled out of her pocket a small, round, morocco case. The very thing that Ellen had thought looked like a dumpling under the napkin, and opened it. "'It's Mr. John!' exclaimed Ellen. "'Oh, how beautiful!' Neither of her hearers could help laughing. "'It is very fine, Ellie,' said Alice. "'You are quite right. Now I know what was the business that took John to Randolph every day, and kept him there so long, while I was wondering at him unspeakably. Kind, kind Mr. Marshman. Did Mr. John get anything?' "'Ask him, Ellie. Did you get anything, Mr. John?' said Ellen, going up to him where he was reading on the sofa. "'I got this,' said John, handing her a little book which lay beside him. "'What is this? Wimes, Weems, Life of Washington. Washington. He was—may I look at it? Certainly.' She opened the book, and presently sat down on the floor where she was, by the side of the sofa. Whatever she had found within the leaves of the book, she had certainly lost herself. An hour passed— Ellen had not spoken or moved, except to turn over leaves. "'Ellen,' said John. She looked up, her cheeks colored high. "'What have you found there?' said he, smiling. "'Oh, a great deal. But did Mr. Marshman give you this?' "'No.' "'Oh,' said Ellen, looking puzzled. "'I thought you said you got this this morning.' "'No, I got it last night. I got it for you, Ellie.' "'For me,' said Ellen, her color deepening very much. "'For me, did you? Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so much obliged to you, Mr. John.' "'It is only an answer to one of your questions. "'This? Is it? I don't know what, I am sure. 
"'Oh, I wish I could do something to please you, Mr. John.' "'You shall, Ellie. You shall give me a brother's right again.' Blushingly, Ellen approached her lips to receive one of his grave kisses, and then, not at all displeased, went down on the floor and was lost in her book. Oh, the long joy of that New Year's Day! How shall it be told? The pleasure of that delightful book, in which she was wrapped the whole day, even when called off, as she often was, by Ellen Chauncey, to help her in fifty little matters of business or pleasure. These were attended to, and faithfully and cheerfully, but the book was in her head all the while— and this pleasure was mixed with Alice's pleasure, the flowers and the miniature, and Mr. Marshman's restored kindness. She never met John's or Alice's eye that day without a smile. Even when she went to be dressed, her book went with her, and was laid on the bed within sight, ready to be taken up the moment she was at liberty. Ellen Chauncey lent her a white frock, which was found to answer very well with a tuck let out, and Alice herself dressed her. While this was doing, Margaret Dunscombe put her head in at the door to ask Anne— Miss Sophia's maid, if she was almost ready to come and curl her hair. "'Indeed, I can't say that I am, Miss Margaret,' said Anne. "'I've something to do for Miss Humphreys, and Miss Sophia hasn't so much as done the first thing towards beginning to get ready yet. It'll be a good hour and more.' Margaret went away, exclaiming impatiently that she could get nobody to help her, and would have to wait till everybody was downstairs. A few minutes after, she heard Ellen's voice at the door of her room, asking if she might come in. "'Yes. Who's that? What do you want?' "'I'll fix your hair if you'll let me,' said Ellen. "'You? I don't believe you can.' "'Oh, yes, I can. I used to do mamma's very often. "'I am not afraid, if you'll trust me.' "'Well, thank you. I don't care if you try, then,' said Margaret, seating herself. "'It won't do any harm at any rate. "'And I want to be downstairs before anybody gets here. "'I think it's half the fun to see them come in. "'Bless me. You're dressed in already.' Margaret's hair was in long, thick curls. It was not a trifling matter to dress them. Ellen plodded through it patiently and faithfully, taking great pains, and doing the work well, and then went back to Alice. Margaret's thanks, not very gracefully given, would have been a poor reward for the loss of three-quarters of an hour of pleasure. But Ellen was very happy in having done right. It was no longer time to read. They must go downstairs. The New Year's party was a nondescript, young and old together, a goodly number of both were gathered from Randolph and the neighboring country. There were games for the young, dancing for the gay, and a suburb supper for all, and the big, bright rooms were full of bright faces. It was a very happy evening to Ellen. For a good part of it, Mr. Marshman took possession of her, or kept her near him, and his extreme kindness would alone have made the evening pass pleasantly. She was sure he was her firm friend again. In the course of the evening, Mrs. Chauncey found occasion to ask her about her journey up the river, without at all mentioning Margaret, or what she had said. Ellen answered that she had come with Mrs. Dunscombe and her daughter. "'Did you have a pleasant time?' asked Mrs. Chauncey. "'Why, no, ma'am,' said Ellen. "'I don't know. It was partly pleasant, and partly unpleasant. "'What made it so, love?' "'I had left Mamma that morning, and that made me unhappy.' "'But you said it was partly pleasant.' "'Oh, that was because I had such a good friend on board,' said Ellen, her face lighting up as his image came before her. "'Who was that?' "'I don't know, ma'am, who he was.' "'A stranger to you?' "'Yes, ma'am, I never saw him before. I wish I could see him again.' "'Where did you find him?' "'I didn't find him. He found me, when I was sitting up on the highest part of the boat.' "'And your friends with you?' "'What friends?' "'Mrs. Dunscombe and her daughter.' "'No, ma'am, they were down in the cabin.' "'And what business had you to be wandering about the boat alone?' said Mr. Marshman, good-humouredly. 
"'They were strangers, sir,' said Ellen, colouring a little. "'Well, so was this man, your friend, a stranger, too, wasn't he?' "'Oh, he was a very different stranger,' said Ellen, smiling. "'And he wasn't a stranger long, besides. "'Well, you must tell me more about him. Come, I'm curious. "'What sort of a strange friend was this?' "'He wasn't a strange friend,' said Ellen, laughing. "'He was a very, very good friend. "'He took care of me the whole day. "'He was very good and very kind.' "'What kind of a man?' said Mrs. Chauncey. "'A gentleman?' "'Oh, yes, ma'am,' said Ellen, looking surprised at the question. "'I'm sure he was.' "'What did he look like?' Ellen tried to tell, but the portrait was not very distinct. "'What did he wear? Coat or cloak?' "'Coat. Dark brown, I think.' "'This was the end of October, wasn't it?' Ellen thought a moment, and answered, "'Yes.' "'And you don't know his name?' "'No, ma'am. I wish I did.' "'I can tell you,' said Mrs. Chauncey, smiling." "'He is one of my best friends, too, Ellen. "'It is my brother, Mr. George Marshman.' "'How Ellen's face crimsoned. "'Mr. Marshman asked how she knew. "'It was then he came up the river, you know, sir, "'and don't you remember his speaking of a little girl on board the boat "'who was travelling with strangers, "'and whom he endeavoured to befriend? "'I had forgotten it entirely till a moment or two ago.' "'Miss Margaret Dunscombe,' cried George Walsh, "'what kind of a person was that you said Ellen was so fond of "'when you came up the river?' "'I don't know nor care,' said Margaret. "'Somebody she picked up somewhere.' "'It was Mr. George Marshman.' "'It wasn't.' "'Uncle George!' exclaimed Ellen Chauncey, running up to the group her cousin had quitted. "'My Uncle George? Do you know Uncle George, Ellen?' "'Very much. I mean, yes,' said Ellen. Ellen Chauncey was delighted. So was Ellen Montgomery. It seemed to bring the whole family nearer to her. And they felt it, too.' Mrs. Marshman kissed her when she heard it, and said she remembered very well her son speaking of her, and was very glad to find who it was. And now, Ellen thought, she would surely see him again some time. The next day they left Ventnor. Ellen Chauncey was very sorry to lose her new friend, and begged she would come again, as soon as she could. All the family said the same. Mr. Marshman told her she must give him a large place in her heart, or he should be jealous of her strange friend— and Alice was charged to bring her whenever she came to see them. The drive back to Caracara was scarcely less pleasant than the drive out had been, and home, Ellen said, looked lovely, that is, Alice's home, which she began to think more of her own than any other. The pleasure of the past ten days, though great, had not been unmixed. The week that followed was one of perfect enjoyment. In Mr. Humphrey's household there was an atmosphere of peace and purity that even a child could feel, and in which such a child as Ellen throve exceedingly. The drawing lessons went on with great success. Other lessons were begun. There were fine long walks and charming sleigh rides, and more than one visit to Mrs. Voss. And what Ellen perhaps liked the best of all, the long evenings of conversation and reading aloud, and bright firelights, and brighter sympathy and intelligence and affection. That week did them all good, and no one more than Ellen." It was a little hard to go back to Miss Fortune's and begin her old life there. She went on the evening of the day John had departed. They were at supper. Well, said Miss Fortune, as Ellen entered, have you got enough of visiting? I should be ashamed to go where I wasn't wanted for my part. I haven't, Aunt Fortune, said Ellen. She's been nowhere but what's done her good, said Mr. Van Brunt. She's really grown handsome since she's been away. Grown a fiddlestick, said Miss Fortune. She couldn't grow handsomer than she was before, said the old grandmother hugging and kissing her little granddaughter with great delight. The sweetest posy in the garden she always was. Mr. Van Brunt looked as if he entirely agreed with the old lady. That, while it made some amends for Miss Fortune's dryness, perhaps increased it. 
She remarked that she thanked heaven she could always make herself contented at home, which Ellen could not help thinking was a happiness for the rest of the world. In the matter of the collar, it was hard to say whether the giver or receiver had the most satisfaction. Ellen had begged him not to speak of it to her aunt, and accordingly, one Sunday, when he came there with it on, both he and she were in a state of exquisite delight. Miss Fortune's attention was at last aroused. She made a particular review of him, and ended it by declaring that he looked uncommonly dandified, but she could not make out what he had done to himself, a remark which transported Mr. Van Brunt and Ellen beyond all bounds of prudence. Nancy's Bible, which had been purchased for her at Randolph, was given to her at the first opportunity. Ellen anxiously watched her as she slowly turned it over, her face showing, however, very decided approbation of the style of the gift. She shook her head once or twice, and then said, "'What did you give this to me for, Ellen?' "'Because I wanted to give you something for New Year,' said Ellen, "'and I thought that would be the best thing. "'If you would only read it, it would make you so happy and good.' "'You are good, I believe,' said Nancy, "'but I don't expect ever to be myself. "'I don't think I could be. "'You might as well teach a snake not to wriggle.' "'I am not good at all,' said Ellen. "'We're none of us good.' "'And the tears rose to her eyes. "'But the Bible will teach us how to be. "'If you'll only read it. "'Please, Nancy, do. "'Say you will read a little every day.' "'You don't want me to make a promise I shouldn't keep, I guess, do you?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'Well, I shouldn't keep that, so I won't promise it. "'But I tell you what I will do. "'I'll take precious fine care of it, and keep it always for your sake.' "'Well,' said Ellen, sighing, "'I'm glad you will even do so much as that. "'But, Nancy, before you begin to read the Bible, "'you may have to go where you never can read it, "'nor be happy nor good either.' "'Nancy made no answer, but walked away, Ellen thought, "'rather more soberly than usual.' This conversation had cost Ellen some effort. It had not been made without a good deal of thought and some prayer. She could not hope she had done much good, but she had done her duty. And it happened that Mr. Van Brunt, standing behind the angle of the wall, had heard every word. End of chapter 32